0: It's funny, though. The the best frame of mind to be in for talking for a while is when no one actually wants to talk to me. <laughs> right. Yes.
1: Very true. That's how
0: that Very works. True. Hello, and welcome to Model View Conversation, America's premier tech education podcast. I am Brian Gates. And I'm Ben Golgi. Please visit our website at nbc.fm. You can see how to subscribe on there. Uh, today, we're going to be starting a little series of episodes on uh, several factors around getting your first or second job.
1: Yeah, something that uh, I think a lot of juniors, when they're, when they're getting into programming and they're learning, you know, the skills of the trade, um, something that isn't really covered that well is, okay, great, you've got some training, whether that's self-taught through tutorials or you've maybe gone to a boot camp or you've gone to, you know, formal school, computer science degree, something like that. Once you've done those things... Now what, right? How do you get a job? How do you actually get out into the world and get employed? Um, And how do you prove to those employers that you know what you're doing at least enough to be a competent junior and to be able to get in there and get some stuff done? Um, So it's going to be a couple episodes long, but we're going to kind of go through the, hopefully, all the different things that you need to know um, to begin the research and to, you know, apply, interview, all that good stuff.
0: Yeah, I think that's something that uh, if I had to rank, I think boot camps probably do the best job at this. Um, Typical, traditional computer science programs, probably less so. And of course, if you're self-taught, you just have no idea of what's out there. Um, Let's see, some topics we had in mind were how to find jobs to apply for, uh, resume design and thoughts on that, uh, how to conduct yourself at an interview, what interviews are like, and finally uh, negotiating a fair offer.
1: Right. Yeah, there there's really a lot of steps involved. It, it it I think it seems maybe not as complicated if you just look at it casually, but once you kind of get into it and realize all the things that you need to do and all the steps you need to take to go from I finished my training to okay, now I'm employed, there's actually a lot more steps there than you might think. Uh and you really don't want to skip them because they are important uh to to actually getting a job. You know, you're going to need to be able to do all those things, have your resume ready, be ready to answer questions, whiteboarding. There's just so many different things that are involved in a in a technical interview and, a, and the technical hiring process that you may or may not have been through if you've been in the job world in other industries. Uh, I think I think computer science and you know programming tends to be... I'm sure it's not unique, but um, it tends to be more involved than I think a lot of other industries.
0: I'd agree with you that it tends to be more involved, but I think I'll disagree on the idea that you have to do every step. I think there are some things that... Um, are just the typical advice, the way everybody tends to do things. And so there's sort of a uh, conventional wisdom that it's how things have to be done. But I think there are situations where you can find kind of a a side door to get in places instead of going through the same sort of kiosk as everybody else can really improve your chances greatly.
1: Yeah, I guess I would amend my point to say, that maybe you should be prepared to do all the steps, but that you don't necessarily have to do all of them for every job application that you do. Any chance that you can get to short-circuit some of this, like Brian was just saying, um, and kind of do a little bit of an end run around and and get, get, like you said, getting through a side door is almost always preferable because, for one thing, it lets you... Uh, generally kind of get more towards the top of the list at the top of the heap as it were um and uh and your chances are going to be greatly improved that for one thing people will see <laughs> your application and your resume and that they will be more likely to you know be interested and go on to the next step with you
0: right i think the whole uh, job application process is kind of a funnel. You know, you start out with a huge number of people who might apply and then a smaller number of those people get through to the interview stage and then a smaller number of those people get through to the offer. So and your chances are always going to be better if you can sidestep being part of a big group of people and be judged as part of a smaller group of people.
1: Yeah, a smaller list to be on is just always preferred, right? Because it's much more likely that they're going to see you and consider you. Um, so how would we, maybe we can talk a little bit about our experience, uh, either being hired or perhaps even doing the hiring. If we have uh, experience on both ends, I think that would be useful to for people, listeners to hear. Um, so Brian, how? Uh, maybe how many jobs have you had? Or, or if you can think of any um, hiring experiences in particular that you found to be either Uh, you know, a good example of, of an, an experience that you enjoyed that you'd like to like to have again, if it was, if it came time for you to be rehired, Mm -hmm. um, and, or, uh, I think those are good examples. And I think also, um, it's good to hear about times when they have not gone that well, um, and things that might, you might have learned from, from those experiences.
0: Sure. I had a a lot of experience trying to find bad work, excuse me, in the industry. Because when I started out, I was self-taught and I wanted to work on internet things. And so I just assumed that the way everybody did it was through the internet and therefore migrated to places like Elance and Odesk and Guru and those kind of things, which are um, marketplaces basically for a lot of services, software development among them, and, uh, The problem with those is that because they're international and open to everybody, all kinds of work gets very commoditized, meaning it's hard to differentiate one developer from another. And so a big part of how people can compete is on price, which means that um, the way you compete on price is to just offer to work for less money than the other people. And if you're doing that internationally, you're going against people where rent might be measured in the tens of dollars per month or something. And so it's very, very hard to to try to compete on that basis if you're say a North American European developer.
1: Yeah, I think the, the global marketplace is definitely not necessarily a great place to be uh you know, competing dollar for dollar because you're just not gonna be able to to match those things, mostly just because of the standard of living, you know, the the amount of money that it requires to To live and to eat and to to have somewhere to stay in in the U.S. is different than it is in other countries. So it's just it's hard to do an apples, apples comparison.
0: Yeah. And so I would end up pricing myself um, pretty low. I've uh, since then, I've uh, heard other podcasts from other uh, software developers from about the same time period. This is maybe 2008, 2010 or so. And uh, one guy, Charles Max Wood, who runs several podcasts now, talked about his early development. his his early career and how he was really psyched when he started getting work on the uh, going through the same kind of thing. And then soon realized the reason he was getting work was because he was undercutting people by 50% or so. Oh, wow. And listening to this, I realized that I was about a quarter below him at the (laughs) same time. (laughs) Wow.
1: Yeah. So some people were getting a really good deal. Yeah,
0: they really, really were. So as, as tempting as it seems that those platforms seem like they just have an endless amount of work because, you know, they're, it, because it is worldwide, you get just dozens to hundreds of listings every day of people wanting more work. But if you start looking into it, a lot of those are, I would like a Facebook clone and I have a budget of several hundreds of dollars and it's just an insane mismatch between how much they want done and how much they can pay. And At the same time, there are people in different parts of the world who are willing to claim that, yes, I will build you Facebook clone for $500. And you just you don't want to get sucked into that kind of competition.
1: So if those are maybe not the best place to look, um, particularly for juniors, because I think the other thing about that, too, is that kind of freelance work, um, it's probably not going to be very fun. (laughs) You're not probably going to learn very much. Um, And and in particular, you're you're not really going to have anybody to bounce any ideas off of or to get help from or anything. And you're going to be paid at least if you live in the United States, you're going to be paid a very low amount. Um, So just sort of bang for your buck, right? Um, It's not great literally because of the money, but also because of crucially the experience. As a junior, you want to try and do what you can to maximize the, the amount of opportunity that you have for experience gaining. Maybe you're not going to get... It's not going to be perfect, but you want to try and sort of stack the deck when you get your job so that uh, you can have those opportunities to learn. Um, they may not all come around, but something to to keep in mind. Um, and so work like that. There's just going to be very very little, if none, no opportunities to to learn uh, from other more experienced developers. Um, so if that's not maybe a great way to go, um, have you had more like a more maybe traditional uh, experience at, at getting a job through a
0: recruiter or through, you know, somebody that you know? Yeah, yeah. The um, way I got to my current job is actually through a recruiter who was referred to me by somebody I know. So mm. kind of combine those. Um, Double points. Yeah, that's right. The uh, guy who started the Orlando developer meetup slash slack organization Group? yeah yes. uh-huh. uh or one of them sergio cruz who's a, a big deal in orlando development circles was at uh, code school for a long time and is now working on his own um, got contacted by a recruiter who knew what technologies he was involved in and sergio was happy where he was so he asked me hey would you i know that uh, your last thing stopped and you might be looking would you be interested in this and so i followed up on that and ended up uh, working and got to kind of bypass some of these steps in that um, the combination I think of Sergio and the recruiter gave me enough credibility that um, the company wasn't really interested in seeing the the resume up front. For example, they they weren't saying uh, let's have ten thousand people apply for this job and then we'll go through the whole stack and decide which of those we want to call in because they were already talking to the recruiter and trusting him to do some degree of vetting, I guess. Um, I got into the interviewing stage and then at some point somebody from HR said, Oh, by the way, we would also like to have a resume on file. And, <laughs> mm-hmm. and so I just put one together at that point.
1: But they weren't using that as a primary like weed out. No, it was no, it mostly wasn't. a formality. It sounds like. Right.
0: And similarly, uh, at the job where we met at the iron yard, uh, I heard about that because when the company was coming to town, they reached out directly to Greg Pollock, who's a, you know, internet famous for a starting code school and was running the Ruby meetup. And they, um, the Iron Yard, which was the, the company where Ben and I met, wanted a Ruby instructor. And so they asked Greg, and Greg put out word to his mailing list, which at the time was probably numbering in, in maybe the dozens of people. And I don't know if anybody else uh, from there contacted the Iron Yard but I did and I heard back from them I think within hours from people on the leadership team saying let's let's talk and find out if you're a good fit
1: yeah my experience with that was very similar in that um, it wasn't through uh, a mailing list but it was through a meetup Um, I was part of the Orlando iOS meetup uh, and again the Iron Yard was coming to town hiring an iOS instructor so they reached out to kind of Sort of the obvious places, right? Orlando has an iOS meetup, so let's talk to them and see if they know someone that might be a good fit for an instructor. Um, And the person who ran that meetup, Andrew Kozlik, at the time, um, reached out to me and said, you know, they've they've been talking to me and said they were looking for an instructor. I'm not, I'm good, but uh, I thought of you. You might be a good, might be a good fit. Maybe you could talk to them, and that's kind of then again through the sort of personal recommendation of a person who is already a credible. Uh, figure in the community in the industry that we're talking about so we're talking about ios in this case um they referred me to the iron yard and then the iron yard uh you know we we took it from there um and and went um you know through that process but again they actually didn't look at my resume until i think much further much down the later, line yeah. um because they were kind of basing it on this personal recommendation, my involvement with the meetup, and then my performance as an interviewee um, as part of their multi-step process to to hiring. Um, in that case, it was a little bit different than what I'm used to because we did kind sort of like a a, um, a chat uh, with the, the principal people, um, a couple of phone calls, and then uh, I did like some homework kind of stuff, um, and then also had to do a guest lecture. So I had to come to the campus and actually give a a, a example lecture of what it would be like for me to actually teach. Um, but a lot of it was basically personal recommendation combined with per, my own performance in the in the process, and less about kind of my specific credentials that I might have had on my resume. Um, and these are both, I think, really good examples of cases where you can short circuit the process a bit um, by a combination of people that you know, um, either you know them personally. Um, In Andrew's case, I had been going to the meetup for several years. I'd given several talks. We got along well. You know, like, I I think I had built a good rapport so that, uh, and this wasn't this wasn't simply just to make it so that I can be easier to get a job. It was just because I wanted to be involved. But through that involvement, um, I became sort of part of the probably the short list of people that he then reached out to when he received this offer from, you know, this external offer um from, from a company to, you know, that was looking for someone. So that formula, in your case, you're part of the meetup, you're part of the you're part of the mailing list, you know Greg, right? Um, you have that ability to uh to be at the top of the list when it when opportunities come around um and then you have that relationship that can kind of, like we said, get you in sort of through the side door a little bit so that you're not just blind applying to something and hoping that maybe they look at your your email in the probably sea of thousands of other emails right, that they're right. receiving. So anything you can do to, to do that, to, to get a little bit around that first step is is a good idea.
0: And not only is that beneficial for you as the, um, the applicant, it's beneficial for the company uh, because they don't have to go through the big stack of resumes anymore. They have contact with somebody who they trust. And that's a more comfortable position for them to be in. I, I heard a great line this week uh, from a guy talking about freelancing and how to look at customers that you don't want to think like a fish. You want to think like a fisherman. You know, you don't want to imagine that you're out there looking from kind of the perspective where you are. You want to think about the the other person and what would make that person's life easier. And a lot of the stuff when we talk about getting kind of outside of the funnel and getting in through the side door the reason that works is because it removes stress and risk from the hirer. It's not just making life easier for you. It's making life easier for them.
1: Right. Yeah, the, the best case scenario is when it benefits both parties. And I think these examples here are perfect examples of that, where just as much as we don't want to blind apply to 300 places and have them all ignore us, the companies that are hiring also don't want to have to sit and, and sift through 3,000 resumes.
0: Right. It's a nightmarish Kind of, uh, where, business. where
1: all, where all they have is just a piece of paper with your name written on it and very, vari- a list of various places that you've worked and the school that you went to. And, you know, I mean, that doesn't really give the person that's doing the hiring a very good, um, clue into who you are and what your deal is and what you know and and whether you're a good person to work with and all kind of other things that are not strictly skill-based um the more soft skills so if you can come in because someone has given you someone that they already kind of implicitly trust right i mean the people that the ironer didn't know andrew at the time that they did this but he had established himself in the community as a, a man of you know, that has a reputable, that has a reputation of, of, uh, you know, being involved in the community and, and actually running a group and all those things, right? So that he has this implicit, um, credibility in the community and they reached out to him, um, being a foreigner basically, right? Coming to Orlando kind of fresh and not already having established, uh, connections in the community, reached out to him. And then he, there, he then in turn reached out to me. So, uh, anytime you can do that, you, you, I was kind of riding his coattails a little bit of as far as reputation, um, and and that helps. That gets me that gets me a little bit of juice to get in the door ahead of sort of that stack of resumes. And then the rest of it is on you. You have, you have to perform. Sure, at some you point have to, it is. You have to do your job, and you have to impress them, and all that kind of kind of stuff. We're not saying that this is like a a, a get rich quick version of getting a job, um, but it is, I think, a solid way of establishing reputation when you may not have much. And I think in particular, we're talking about juniors. Juniors are not going to really have much rep. They're not going to have much notoriety or that's maybe not the right word, but not the, not, not the best, uh, the highest standing in the community because they just, they're, they're new. They, these people are just finished their training and they're, they're ready to get started, but they don't have a lot of established
0: credibility yet. Right. You're just an unknown quantity and you're one of tens or hundreds yeah. or thousands of unknown quantities. And right. I think we all have been in the position of either applying to a bunch of colleges or applying to a bunch of jobs. And we feel how disheartening it is from that perspective of saying, I'm going to fill out all these forms and put them in the mail and then fingers crossed. Right. And most of what you hear back from that is no thank you. And and that feels well or
1: or nothing or literally nothing. nothing.
0: <laughs> and that feels terrible from the perspective of the applicant. But if you think for a minute about what it's like on the other side of the table, Where you get this flood of tens or hundreds or thousands of applications to maybe one position. And you know, as somebody hiring that what it feels like to be looking for a job and you know what effect you're going to have on these people's lives. And yet at the same time, you don't really have anything to go on other than this sheet of paper. And that feels terrible, too, to look through all the resumes and think, well, I don't like this font, and so I'm not offering the job. Or, oh, here's a typo into the trash can. And and that feels bad for those people, too. So if uh, if you can sidestep the necessity, because they do have the necessity of picking somebody, and if you can help to shut down that whole process so that they don't have to say, I need to go through this whole long list, I know somebody. And so I'm going to talk to that person who I think is a pretty good fit. You just have to get in the position of, like Ben said, establishing some credibility and being in the front of somebody's mind when they have a position to fill or when when they hear of a position that's going to need to be filled so that uh, there's just a much more human connection as opposed to pick a sheet of paper that seems like it might be connected to a good person.
1: Right, that has a good font and doesn't have any typos and is you know, it's otherwise... You know, above the rest, right? I mean, they have to pick some kind of criteria to sift through some of these things, um, and some of those criteria tend to be a little, you know, what you might consider to be trivial. But you still have to, uh, to pick in some way. So, um, and and what Brian was saying about, uh, I think juniors building credibility and having a way to create that 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 side door in, you don't necessarily have to have your own credibility right from the from the start. You don't have to already be. A member of the community um, and have your own credibility established, you can like I was saying, you can borrow your credibility in some in some aspects a little bit from someone else so I don't mean in any kind of shady way. What I mean is is for example, going to if you are an iOS person or a Ruby person or a JavaScript person finding an uh, a regular set of community events that are around that thing and go to those things, mm-hmm. right? So use use that as part of your job search. We're going to cover this I'm sure in much more detail when we get to the point where we're doing that in in an episode, you know, um in the future, but what you can do is part of your job search shouldn't just be typing up a resume, submitting it online to various places. It should also be going to a meetup. Going to a meetup is is part of your job search. We always told that to our grads who thought it was a little weird initially, but it's like, no, this is legitimately part of your job search because you're going to a place where other people are interested in the same thing you are, um, and probably many of them, if not all of them, already have a job in that industry. So you can meet them and tell them who you are and tell them what you're interested in and all that kind of good stuff. And what you're doing is you're creating connections that... Unfortunately, it's not like I talk to this one person, then I get a job. That's not how this works. Um, but it's more like it's more akin to if you've ever heard of something called brand advertising. The, the idea that Coca Cola will put an ad during Christmas about their drink on TV, right? And it doesn't necessarily say go buy Coke right now and drink a Coke. But what it does say is it's a funny polar bear based thing, right? Or whatever. That's that's a, a sweet uh, little story um, for Christmas. Um, And it happens to have their brand in it a whole bunch. And so what it's doing is it's just basically trying to get their brand in your brain. So the next time you do want a soda, you are more likely to get a Coca-Cola. So the same idea is true here. You want to put your information in front of people who have credibility and have um, connections to the industry that you want to get into. And then the next time they get an opportunity... That maybe it's, you know, like I'm looking for a junior and something, well, I've got 10 years of experience. I don't, I'm not interested in this job, but turns out this person that I met at the meetup a couple of times, maybe they've given a talk or whatever. They seem great. I'm going to immediately go to them and say, hey, this opportunity exists. Would you like to apply for it. Maybe I could give you a little introduction or something. Um, You want to create that awareness in the community so that, again, you can kind of borrow their credibility a little bit when it comes time, and you can get that that side door
0: in. Right. And there are several ways that I think you can establish the the right degree of credibility. And I think it's important to reiterate what Ben said, that you don't have to be the leader of a meetup, although that can be nice even if you're starting out. You don't have to give a talk every single time, although it would be nice to give a, a talk once in a while. And you don't have to be like the leader of some big open source project, although if you contribute a little around the edges, that's good. Uh, keep in mind that when you're applying for a junior level position, the employer is looking for someone with junior level ability. And so that's what you need in to theory. in theory. Well, yeah, in theory, but that's, that's what you ought to be showcasing is just display honestly to the world. Here's what I can do. And here's what I know right now. And that way you have something tangible that you can point to. That's a lot better than just a couple lines on a resume or an interview where you might possibly lock up. You can say, here's my body of work. Here's the stuff I've been working on so far, and uh, let's base our conversation about the job around that instead of something a lot more, a lot fuzzier.
1: Right. Yeah, I think there's opportunities in, in pretty much this entire process to short circuit the traditional ways that these things go. Um, so that you have a higher chance of actually getting in there and showcasing your real skill. There's this whole separate topic about the interview itself, whiteboarding exercises, silly algorithms they want you to solve, all that stuff that we will get into when, when it comes time in an episode or two. But I think Brian's point about creating a presence for yourself within that industry. So I don't have a bunch of experience building iOS applications, but I have a public GitHub. And I have a computer that has Xcode on it. So why don't I build some stuff and put it on GitHub, right? I Maybe I don't even put it in the App Store necessarily. Maybe it's just code that I've written that I simply want to exist in the world as part of my body of work. It showcases that you can put a view controller together and you can make... Segue. Then you can do all of the things that are necessary to make an iOS application Um, and it's real proof that you can do that it's not theoretical yeah I took a class and I did some homework and in theory I can do it it's it's proof to the employer that I can do that because the commit history is there they can see what you've done it's got your username attached to it's got dates and times it's got code they can see I mean I guess someone else could be doing it for you but you have to at some point trust there has to be trust somewhere so as long as you are you have this list and this history of um of work then it creates uh, opportunities for you to discuss that so that you don't necessarily have to simply jump through this, th- those silly hoops that they always want you to jump through you can say well let's look at this because this is actually much more relevant to the position that I'm being hired for it's a real app and I can ask me anything you want about it and I can I can go through it and I can I can show you what I've done um so there's going to be opportunities I think throughout this whole process to create short circuits so that you yes. don't necessarily have to jump through all of the the crazy hoops sometimes that you have to jump through
0: and Ben suggests one of my favorite ones there, which is uh, when you get into an interview, a lot of times places will have this uh, preconceived list of questions that they're going to ask you because those were the questions asked to them, because those were the questions asked to those people, and so on, back to like the 1940s or something absurd, dealing with topics that are just not at all relevant to, to what you're applying for or maybe even what the company does. And that's a lot of the stigma, I think, that whiteboarding deserves is around that kind of question. And there are ways that you can short circuit that because generally the first question in the interview is tell us a little bit about yourself. And you can go down the traditional route of saying, well, I'm a person and I have a name and I went to a school or you can say, well, I'm a person and I wrote this software. And then you just open up your computer and say, here's my code and here's the other code and here's what it does. And that means that you're playing the interview on your turf. Because the person who is about to go through their preordained list of questions and and check off their preordained list of boxes probably doesn't really want to do that because that's just not fun. It's something they've done a bunch of times and they're kind of aware that that doesn't have a lot of correlation with the actual job or success on the job, but that's all they know and so they do it.
1: And it often doesn't really help that much to determine whether yeah. you're qualified or yeah. not. So it, that's the other thing is they do it and then they, they finish and you leave and then they, the person asks you, hey, how'd that interview go? What did you think of that person? And they're like, I don't eh, know. You know, yeah. I don't know. They're all right. Like because they just don't get a good um, assessment.
0: Right. It's the in-person uh, equivalent of finding the typo and the bad font on the resume. It's, it's something to – it's an opportunity to provide something for someone to dislike on a fairly arbitrary basis. So if you can get away from that and kind of implicitly say, we're not gonna play that dull pseudo game that you play with everybody else because you don't know any better games. We're gonna play this one over here of let's show and tell around this app, which is cool and maybe uses a technology that you haven't even seen before. And you're gonna see actual working code and find out that I am an actual capable developer at whatever level I'm in. And the person interviewing you, if they're technical, that's going to be a much better deal for them. And they're going to come out of that interview. And when someone asks, how did it go? They're going to say, oh, that was great. He built this thing or, or she has this, this site that's up and running and here's how it goes. And you know, here's the URL for it. I already signed up for it. You should sign up for it. And that's just a lot more fun. And that prov- provides much better reassurance to them that you know what you're doing and and is more fun for you because you know what you're talking about because you're talking about stuff you've done already
1: right you turn an interviewer into an advocate right you make that person uh not only impressed with you but jumping at the chance to talk about you with other colleagues which there's no better you're going to have no better chances getting the job than having something like that kind of spread throughout the company
0: it's not to say that this is the golden ticket and it works in every situation but uh frankly another thing that you need to keep in mind during the job search process is that you're looking for a good fit for you as much as the employer is looking for a good fit for them. And not every company is going to be a good fit for you. And that's fine.
1: Right. Yeah. My dad had this kind of old, he's, he's a computer scientist and has been, uh, had a whole bunch of jobs over his career. Um, and, uh, he's talked about how, um, he sometimes just wants to, in an interview that he's been on, he just wants to they get halfway through and he decides, you know what, this is just, this is not a good fit for me. These, the skills don't align that well, or the company values don't align or whatever, Um, where he just wants to be like, you know, thanks, but I, I think we're done. Like we yeah. don't, we don't, why even continue with the process? If, if I know that this is not a job that I want, um, nor one that I would necessarily be good at, or it's just not a good fit for whatever reason, why bother this person with having to finish this whole thing, um, when you know that you're not going to accept it, even if they offer it to you, um, so I think I think there needs to be more of of that kind of thing in in the tech you know industry and in uh you know in the professional interview setting is is it it like Brian just said it's just as much something that you can definitely kind of say to yourself as a mantra when you're doing it is. They are interview they are being interviewed by me just as much as as I am being interviewed by them right just as much as they are considering you and and there's a pro con list and they're trying to figure out is this person going to be a good worker are they going to be are they knowledgeable are they nice are they you know are they do they get along with other people all those kind of boxes that they want to see you tick you have your own list of pros and cons right you have your own set of values and what you want to get out of it and and as your as your career develops those probably are going to change uh you're going to start with i want experience is my most important thing right now and then maybe later it might be a combination of like money and flexibility because you're building a family or you know who who knows whatever it happens to be that you find important at that moment it's going to create that list of things that would that would be for you an ideal job and you want to make sure that you bring that list with you either in your in your head or on paper or whatever and make sure that you as it's going and i know it's a lot it's a lot to keep track of you're trying to be impressive to them and all that stuff but do what you can to try and keep that list in mind and and check off the boxes either on the pro list or the con list as you see things unfold um and you know and some of that might be you you're halfway through the interview and you're like well this con list is quite long and this pro list is really short Maybe it's time to just thank you, but no, thank you. Because the thing is, if you spend another hour there, right? I've been on interviews that are multiple hours long. Most for of some them, yeah. Reason, which is ridiculous. But um, imagine you're like, okay, well, I could be here for another two hours for a job I know I don't want, or I could thank you, no thank you, mm-hmm. get out of there, mm-hmm. and then I could take that time and I could use it to look for something better.
0: Right. And also you're helping them out because if if you already know that it's not a good fit, they might also have an inkling that it's not a good fit. And so if you politely extricate yourself from the situation and maybe even say, you know what, I don't think this is right for me I'd, it I can think of a couple people, though. Maybe I could send you a couple names or have them get in touch with you. Then you're still making their jobs a little bit easier. You probably have friends who are looking for work who are maybe a better fit for whatever this place is. And then... Leaving a good impression, too, right? right. You want to do what you can to leave a good impression because maybe this job
1: today isn't great, but maybe in a month or six months, they're going to have a position that opens that is better. Right. And if you don't burn that bridge, you have a higher chance of them looking at you again.
0: Right. And, and so you're leaving with a... A kind of a mutual win yes which is positive positive. and also if you tell yourself before you go in that you're interviewing them as much as they're interviewing you that does a couple good things for one it decreases the chance that you end up in a place that you don't like because you're keeping an eye open for stuff that you will think this this is going to bother me in the long run Right. You know, if, if you walk into an interview and you're wearing your Mr. Rogers cardigan and everybody else has like death metal T-shirts, then you can say <laughs> probably right off the bat this. Right. I, this is going to be an unhappy environment for both of us. Or if you know, if they're all on Windows machines and you have the whatever latest Mac thing was introduced for, by in the last uh, Apple talk, then that's going to be a little jarring for everybody.
1: Or you are looking to get a a job that is Mac-based and the entire company is Windows-based. You're like, ooh, boy, that could be, just from an IT perspective, it could be kind of... Very difficult, right. Yeah, so all those things are, are useful red flags.
0: And at the same time, even if you don't identify anything that's really glaringly bad, if you walk into it trying to find those things at some level... That greatly reduces your level of uh, felt desperation and the level of desperation that you're kind of emanating into the environment, because that's something that makes you look less attractive in any situation, whether it's dating or applying for uh, college or for a job or whatever if you kind of convey the attitude that well i you know i could take it or leave it and if this is really good then sure but if it's not that's fine too then that gives you this kind of aura of a person who has abundant choices and that makes you more desirable to the person on the other side of the table, whether it's you know going for a, a date or a job or a promotion or whatever.
1: Right. And we don't necessarily mean intentionally playing hard together. What we do mean is just being confident about your own skill set and your own value as a worker um, and that and that they are not the only game in town and that there, there are other opportunities that you could get. Whether that's true or not, it doesn't really matter. Well, it, um, it what, almost
0: certainly is true. I mean, there's a lot of yes, work out of there and it, it's not to say that if you walk out of this interview, it might be, you know, another week or several weeks until you find the next, uh, the next one, but there's other stuff out there.
1: Yeah, of course. So, but you, you want to be confident so that they know that they are hiring someone who has confidence in their skills and knows that they can get the job done. If you come in and say, I'll literally work for any amount and I, I don't care. I just desperately need a job. It, it's, it just, you, for whatever reason in the, in the human mind, you become less, Desirable, yeah. Right. Because because you think they think, well, they're just they don't care. They're just they're just trying to get literally any job. Maybe they're terrible at this. Um, so you really want to go in with, uh, you know, more confidence. And I think something else that you can that it will give you by that whole I'm interviewing them. They're interviewing me. It's a mutual yes. situation it puts you on um, the same level yeah it's kind of like the equivalent of when someone's you know someone's gonna go out and sing on stage and they and the old adage of like imagine everyone in the audience in their underwear it helps to bring the audience down a peg so that they don't feel like they're quite as over you and they're looking down on you and and you are gonna do terribly right what that's the point of what that that little metaphor is about is trying to make the situation more equal so that you are coming out on stage, you're about to sing a song um and yet they are not at a complete advantage over you. They happen to be all sitting in their underwear, so that's you know that's mildly embarrassing for them right that creates it creates a situation where the two groups are more equal and I think the same thing is true here. You want to go in thinking they are trying to perform and impress me as much as I am trying to perform and impress them right They want to put their best foot forward they want to have knowledgeable people in the room who are asking me insightful questions and they want to, when they give me the little tour about the, around the office, they want to make sure that they, you know, people are polite and friendly and that the job environment is inviting and all those things. They want to try and put their best foot forward as well. So if you think about that, that they're making all these conscious decisions to be impressive, You'll think, okay, well, so they're under a similar amount of stress. It's probably more distributed because it's not one person, right? It's a whole group of people. But they are similarly under an amount of stress to try and be impressive. And so therefore, it's gonna be a little awkward, it's gonna be a little clumsy, but um that that makes it so, okay, well, they're in basically the same boat as I am. And and when you walk in, it's just gonna make you feel better about your your relative position in that negotiation because You are trying to be impressive, and they're trying to be impressive.
0: And also, if you think about how they're trying to be impressive, that relieves you of thinking about how impressive you're trying to be, which is going to make you more impressive. Right.
1: It's a little counterintuitive, but
0: but it does work. In In the same way that anything you focus on starts to feel unnatural. Like, I'm sure you've gone through your entire day or week or month not really caring where your hands are. But if suddenly there's a photographer in front of you... It's a big deal and wherever your hands are becomes the wrong place because you're fixated on it.
1: Yeah, I used to play Guitar Hero, and and the same thing that thing happened. I'd be going along playing a song, right? And it's basically you know five buttons with one hand, and then right. a little strum bar with the other one. And you're standing there, and and the notes are coming at you on the screen, and and you're and you're in the groove. You've yeah. got this like this nice thing where like I'm not telling my index finger to depress the button; it's just it sort just of just happens, yeah. And it's great. And then and then I'm like, this is awesome. I'm doing so well, and I've got all these multipliers, and my points are going up cra- like crazy. And then you're like, wait, I really want to keep doing this. And then suddenly you start okay well index finger middle finger ring finger like you're trying you're trying to, to keep track of everything and, and then suddenly it just completely falls apart and you fail the song right so like that's exactly what brian's talking about is if you concentrate too much on being impressive and i gotta say everything the right way and i have to i have to answer the question immediately without thinking about it you know i should rattle off answers and i have to be just sort of this perfect person you're going to spend so much time pretend like trying to be that person that you're going to not realize that this whole interview is going by you and you've fumbled through the whole thing.
0: Right. And also it'll focus your own attention on whatever little mistakes you've made which will amplify them in your own mind and possibly lead you to start commenting on them like, "Oh, I just I mispronounced that word. I'm sorry." You know, it <laughs> all right. these, all these terrible. Yeah. You can imagine, you know, somebody on the office going through this job uh, interview and and making all these mistakes and just getting progressively more and more cringeworthy. You don't want to be in that position. You just want, and to then be, you look
1: like a crazy person, right? right? And and you are not a crazy person. Right, you are a not. perfectly competent, right. skilled person. Look, you're, you're listening not. to
0: America's premier tech education podcast. You right. know what you're doing
1: exactly. So so you want to just make sure that you do what you can to try and bring that into the room. And I think one of the things you can do to do that is is just re- remember, remember before you do it, remember while you're doing it, remember after you've done it, that they are as just as much, they are just as nervous and just as much interviewing or you are interviewing them as they are interviewing you. It's a mutual um, uh, exploration of is this, is this person the right person and is this role the right role?
0: And you don't have to marry your first date. You don't have to take the the job in your first interview. There's a lot of stuff out there.
1: Yeah, in particular, if you're a junior and maybe you've not had a programming job before, you, the temptation is going to be, Someone actually answered my application. Someone actually wants to interview me. Someone, you know, called me back after the interview and wants to negotiate a, a salary. Someone wants to offer me a job. You're gonna you're gonna think this is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me and this is perfect. I'm gonna just take it immediately. And maybe it is. Maybe it's maybe it's a fantastic role and you'd be silly not to take it. That's possible. But it could also what...
0: be something that's, you know, nine dollars an hour for technology that hasn't been used anywhere since the nineties. Right.
1: Yeah, it could be it could be a poor investment in your time money-wise, and it could also be a poor investment in your time skills-wise and experience-wise. You want to kind of keep those both in mind. Not only the hourly rate or the salary or whatever the monetary compensation is, but also what am I going to be learning and what am I going to be spending my time on? And if I go down this route of learning a technology that's 20 years old that nobody uses anymore, and the only reason why I'm doing it is because this company doesn't want to invest in new technology. They want to keep using this old thing. Uh, that's bad because it's going to pigeonhole you and put you in a place where you maybe have worked there for a couple of years, probably for less money than you could be making. So you're underpaid and you have now sort of this stale skill set um, that n- not a lot of the people are going to want. So you want to keep that in mind as well Is is both the compensation money wise and also sort of the compensation you're going to get as a junior, which is the experience they're going to be giving you throughout that job all right well that's it for today thanks so much for listening to the podcast um please like we said in the beginning make sure you check out mvt.fm that's our website uh, and it has all the episodes you can listen online has the show notes links to everything um and also has a special page uh, for subscriptions so you can just click on the subscribe button you could also jump to itunes and give us a rating and review if you like this podcast it would help us out a lot in the rankings and until then we'll see you next time we're going to be doing a series of these episodes so this one's kind of the overview we're going to get into all the nitty-gritties about everything we talked about today in a couple of
0: Uh, episodes in the future thanks for listening